0: All right, as you stand with me this morning, uh, open your Bibles to the book of John. Uh, we're going to read in chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 3, and also verse 14. If you're using a Pew Bible, you can find these on page 610. Pastor Bruce uh, starts a series this morning called Jesus Behold the Glory. Again, we're in the book of John, first chapter, verses 1 through 3, and then also verse 14. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray. God, as we enter this, uh, uh, this uh, Christmas season, may we just remember that, Lord, uh, you are the reason uh, that we celebrate, and God, it's all about uh, um, seeing your glory as it is. Let me just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name, amen.
1: Well, how many are excited is the Christmas season? Well, not too many of you. All right, yeah, we have some over here. I appreciate that. It's always, always good for at least a few teens that are happy for the Christmas season to be here. Well, as I said, I, I am. I love the Christmas season. I'm excited. Uh, ...that it's here, and I'm excited to be starting uh, this brand new series. It's going to be a four-week series we're calling... ...Jesus, Behold His Glory... ...as we begin the Advent season. Uh, How many have heard of the word Advent before? You're familiar with the concept of Advent. Advent, for those who maybe are not so familiar with the Advent season... ...or the term Advent, Advent is a word that simply means coming. And in relation to Christmas... It's uh, really, Advent focuses on the coming of Jesus, his first coming, when he was born. And uh, the Advent series, uh, season I should say, is a series of four Sundays leading up to the celebration of Christmas. Which means today is the first Sunday of Advent. And then of course it climaxes on Christmas Day itself. So you have four Sundays and then Christmas Day for Advent. Advent is supposed to be a time of... Of preparation in our hearts. It's supposed to be a time of, of consideration and even reflection in anticipation of the birth of Jesus Christ. But over time, here in our culture, Advent has changed to simply a time of celebration in anticipation of opening presents and eating and eating together with family and just kind of celebrating Christmas trees and Santa Claus and lights and you name it, and while there's nothing wrong with that per se, like I said, I love the Christmas season, uh, I, I love the lights and the trees, and I always get excited when my wife drags out the tree, and the, the kid, you know, they decorate our house, and we always go down the plaza and look at the light. how many of you guys go down the plaza and watch, look at the lights, yeah, Randy was there Thanksgiving night, who else went Thanksgiving night, yeah, are you? some of you did, yeah, cool deal, and uh, I, I mean I love the holiday season. My my favorite time of the year. But if we're not careful, we can easily we can kind of get sucked in by the gravitational pull of our culture toward excess consumption and excess celebration. The I mean it wasn't too long ago the best shopping deals used to be just on Black Friday and Cyber Monday, but now as you know, we have what is being called you know, Gray Thursday, where you can actually go shopping on Thanksgiving Day or evening. And you may have seen some of the news clips of that, where you see people camping out. They're, they're jockeying for position when the doors open, and they're pushing their way through the aisles with little regard for how they treat anyone, all in order to get their hands on that door buster deal at Walmart, Right? You saw pictures of that. The cells start earlier, it seems like. The pace gets faster nowadays. The commercials are louder. And before we know it, we are caught in the gravitational pull of the holiday season. And so my hope for us this morning, and really throughout this series, is to kind of pull us back, if you will. To pull us back from this culture, sh- cultural shift we're in, and remind us what this Advent season is all about. In fact, one way we're doing that is we want to make available to you each and every Sunday in your bulletin is these Advent devotionals. And uh, you may want to pull this out right now and uh, just take a look at it. And maybe you've never participated in Advent devotionals or doing a, an Advent devotional with your family or with you personally and you're wondering, well, what is it? What is it like? What do I do? Uh, this insert here, where it says, Behold His glory, kind of gives you a summary of what, how to celebrate Advent in a Christ-centered way. Um, and so I would, I would challenge you as a family or as a person individually to, to take a look at this. Read through it, and on the, on the second half are even some questions that you can go through uh, for you personally, or you can lead your family in during Advent. Uh, one of the things my family does, and we've kind of made this a tradition uh, each year when we celebrate Advent, we actually have an Advent candle thing. It's a nativity Advent, and there's four, five candles. So you have four around it and one center candle, and, and so before, you know, on Saturday nights or Sunday evening, uh, we'll just we'll sit around the table, and of course, when you have kids, it's a big deal to light the candle. So, you know, that's a big deal. You turn out all the lights except the Christmas lights. And, uh, and we'll, and we'll, we'll uh, read some scripture. We'll talk about what Advent means, what each candle means. And uh, now my family, we're not really musically inclined, so we don't sing any songs. Uh, first time we tried that, my boys asked me not to do that again in <laughs> leading them sing, singing. So we skip that now. And, uh, and so, you know, sometimes it lasts all of three minutes. Sometimes for our family, now that the boys are a little older, you know, they have a little more questions, and it may last, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Sometimes we're all grumpy because we're tired that day, Uh, and sometimes we're all in great moods, and it's a great thing. And let me tell you, you you have it all, and you experience it all because, well, we're all dysfunctional families at some level or form. And so don't let that stop you. Let me encourage you to take advantage of this. And so beginning today and each Sunday all the way up to Christmas, you'll find this in your uh, bullet in your bulletin, and of course it 's all based on our sermon series through on the first book of John. Or I should say the first chapter of john, and that 's what we 're going to be doing in this series is looking at John chapter one, and we 're going to be discovering john 's view of the advent of Jesus Christ. In fact, notice his purpose the purpose of advent, according to John, is to focus our attention on the glory of Jesus. His whole purpose here is to focus our attention on the glory of Jesus as the Logos, as the light, the Lord, and the Lamb. And you may have noticed when Kirk read the scripture for us that John shines a little bit different light on the glory of Jesus than what Matthew, Mark, and Luke does. Most of us, when we we, uh, talk about the Christmas story, uh, we go to Matthew or we go to Luke to refer to the Christmas story, which is a great place to go to. In fact, those three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they start with the humanity of Jesus Christ. You may have noticed Matthew and Luke, they begin with the story of Jesus' birth, kind of in Bethlehem. They have the nativity scene with all the traditional cast and characters, the angels, the wise men, the shepherds, the stable, the star. Uh, You go to the book of Mark, and, and, well, he's always in a hurry, He should have been born in our culture today, because he skips right over the birth and goes straight to the baptism of Jesus, where he launches his earthly ministry, and so his start is a little bit different, but all three start with the humanity of Jesus, where John here in his gospel, he starts with the very deity of Jesus, as the Logos, and as the light, and as the Lord and the Lamb. Why does he do that? Because He wants to show us that Jesus really is the Son of God, so that we will believe in Him for eternal life. In fact, the whole purpose that John writes, the book of John, or what is referred to as the Gospel of John, is for this very reason. We find this purpose at the end of the book in John chapter 20, verse 31, where he says, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have what? Life in His name. So what we're going to do over the next four weeks, we're going to, if I can say it this way, we're going to behold the glory of Jesus as the Logos, as the light, as the Lord, and as the Lamb. And hopefully, in the process, we can reclaim a little bit of the significance of the Advent season. And if you haven't already, of course, my prayer is that through this, you will also come to believe on Jesus Christ for your salvation and for eternal life. So let's behold his glory as the Logos. Look at this in your notes coming up on the screen. Jesus is the Logos. God's ultimate message to the world. Now, Logos, that's not a term we use a lot today. Some of you may be slightly familiar with that word. That word is actually, it's a Greek term that's translated in English, in our English Bibles, as word. So, Jesus is the Logos, or you can say in English, he's the word. John tells us in verse 1 that in the beginning was the word. Or the Logos in Greek. But who's the Word? Well, you drop down to verse 14, and there it makes it clear that the Word here, or the Logos, is Jesus when John writes, "...and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us." Now, what's interesting is John starts out his first letter. Uh, you may know that he, he wrote three other letters, or three letters, 1 John, Second John, and 3 John, in addition to the Gospel of John, here. And so he starts out his very first letter just like he does his gospel here. He calls Jesus the Word or the Logos. In fact, notice there in your notes in 1 John chapter 1 verse 1 what he says. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the Word of life. And later on before John dies, he writes the book of Revelation. And in Revelation 19, 13, John calls Jesus the Word of God. My question is to John, why not just say, in the beginning was Jesus? Or in the beginning was the Son of God? I mean, why did John choose to call Jesus the Word or the Logos? Why not call it, why not the thought? Why not the feeling? Well, without going into all the Old Testament background of this term Logos, and even there's Greek philosophy associated with this word, and out, without taking into all that, let me try to just explain it on a practical level here of why John calls Jesus the word here or the Logos. For, for example, let's say I want to get to know Bill. I don't know Bill. He's a stranger to me. But he's been coming to our church here, and so I put my hand out, shake his hand. My name's Bruce. He tells me, my name's Bill. I say, hey, you know what, I'd like to get to know you a little bit better. Do you have time some morning during the week, whatever, let's meet at Starbucks. So Bill says, yeah, I'll meet you there at Starbucks. So we agree to meet at Starbucks. Now, of course, we get our coffee because Starbucks is the best coffee in the whole world, right? Right. So we go to Starbucks, we get our coffee, we sit down at a table there, and because we're two guys, we first get our papers, we read the sports section, we then open up our laptops, we do some other things, we check our smartphones for emails, and we're there about 30 minutes before really anything happens, you know, because we're two guys. And finally, after about 30 minutes, what do you think begins to happen as we sit there? (laughs) I say, "Well, well, Bill, tell me about yourself. So he begins to share with me a little bit about himself, where he works, if he's married, how many kids he has, you know, stuff like that. He asked me, well, what's your story, Bruce? And I begin to share with him my story. And after a while, after being there, an hour or whatever the case may be, all of a sudden we leave Starbucks and what has happened? We know each other a little bit better. There's now be the beginning stages of a relationship going on between us. And so that's what has take place. But here's the point. All of this relationship between Bill and I that's beginning to grow out of a Starbucks conversation that grows between us would be the result of what? Having coffee together? No, coffee's not the medium. What's the medium? Words is the medium. Words would be the thing that would make it happen. We would exchange some words between us, which are the currency of disclosure. And disclosure always leads to intimacy or to a greater relationship. So if I want to get to know you better, there would need to be some words exchanged between us. And if you want to get to know me better, I have to share some words about myself. Now, stand in awe of this. Just behold this amazing thought. God wants you to know him. God wants you to know him better. So what does he do? He sent the word. He sent us. He sent you the word. God disclosed himself in a huge way. Jesus is the word that comes forth from God's mouth so that we can know him. So every time you see Jesus called the word, remember that's God talking to us. That's God revealing himself to us. That's God wanting a personal relationship with us. Look what the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 1. Amazing verse here. Verses 1 and 2 in Hebrews chapter 1, it says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, the Word. That's what it means when John says Jesus is the Word or the Logos. Jesus is God expressing Himself to the world. Jesus is God's ultimate message to you and I. That's what it means when, Jesus says, when John says Jesus is the Word. So what does John want us to now know about the Logos? What does he want us to behold when it comes to Jesus' glory as the Logos? Well, Jesus wants us to behold. In this word behold, it's the idea of to, to gaze upon to stand in awe of to stand in reverence of in fact that's a it's a great question to ask at christmas time what captures your wonder your awe what do you stand in awe of at christmas time or any time of the year what captures your attention for so many of us christmas time what we stand and gaze upon are the plaza lights or our own christmas tree in our living room And while all those things are fine, listen, what what we ought to be standing in awe of and beholding is Jesus. Behold his glory. And so there are two things that John now wants us to behold in relation to Jesus the Logos. First of all, number one, look at it. Jesus the Logos is revealed in eternity as God. He's revealed in eternity as God. This is the first thing John tells us in verses 1 through 3. That Jesus, who is the Logos, is revealed in eternity as God. Look what it says again. Let's read it one more time. It says, "...in the beginning was the," what? "...word." And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him." And without him, nothing was made that was made. So immediately, what we have here in these three short little verses, they're compact, but they're packed full of information, packed full of truths that John wants us to grab hold of for our lives about this Logos, about Jesus here. So notice the first truth that he sheds light on for us. It's about the existence of the Logos, and it's Jesus is eternal. Jesus is eternal. Do you remember where Matthew starts his gospel? If you go to the book of Matthew, Matthew starts his gospel with Jesus' genealogy. If you go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then it goes on to list all the sons of Abraham. And it goes down, and it gives you the whole family tree of Jesus Christ. Um, That's where Matthew starts. Now, why would Matthew start with the genealogy of Jesus Christ? Because Matthew is wanting to emphasize the humanity of Jesus Christ. All right? That he was born of the Virgin Mary. And And it comes through a lineage here that you can trace all the way back to the Old Testament of David and Abraham. But there's no genealogy here in John's gospel. Why? Because John doesn't want to emphasize his humanity. John wants to emphasize to us the deity of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is eternal. This is why he says in verse 1, In the beginning was God. John is pushing our understanding back as far as possible to the very beginning of history itself. In fact, does that phrase even sound familiar to you? In the beginning. Whoa. Uh, where have I heard that phrase before? In the beginning. It takes us all the way back to where? To Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1, where it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so the book of Genesis records these words to introduce the creation of the world to us. That there was a time before time ever was, and in that moment, God created the heavens and the earth. But John now uses the exact same phrase to indicate that a new creation is coming. There's a new in the beginning that is taking place that centers on Jesus, the Logos. This phrase, in the beginning was the Word. Now, it doesn't imply that the Word had a beginning or that Jesus had a beginning. Rather, it means that the Word has always existed. In other words, Jesus always was. You are know, like, was always what? Was always existing. Jesus was always existing. Now try to wrap your mind around that. Listen, I don't know about you, I can comprehend 10 years. I can comprehend 46 years, because my birthday's Tuesday. <laughs> Everybody can comprehend how old they are, right? I can even comprehend a hundred years. I can even slightly comprehend a thousand years. But how can you fathom eternity without time? Everything we perceive in this life that we live in has a beginning. Beginning. But Jesus never had a beginning. And this is the one who enters our broken world to save us from our sins. Jesus, He is eternal. He always has been. He always will be. Before there was the world, there was the Word. Yes, Jesus had His birth in Bethlehem, but not His beginning, because He's eternal. He always was, and he always will be. So the first truth we learn from John is that Jesus is eternal. The second truth is about the intimacy of the Logos. Jesus is in relationship. You can even write the word fellowship. He's in relationship or fellowship with with God. Look what John says again in verse 1, that the word was with God. And then you drop down to verse 2, and John basically repeats the same thought when he says he was in the beginning with God. God. Now, notice the prepositions that John uses. It's not under God. He doesn't say the Word was under God. He doesn't say the Word was after God. It's not above God. It's not behind God, but it's what? It's with God. The Word was with God. This phrase is literally translated, the Word was continually toward God. In other words, the Father and the Son were continually face-to-face. When, I, when we do weddings, or at least when I perform a wedding. I'm sure many of you have been to a wedding before, at least one wedding in your life. And normally here in our church when we do a wedding, the bride and the groom stand here. And to start off with, they're kind of facing me at an angle. But when they go to say their vows, you know what I always have them do? Face each other. It's a reflection of intimacy. Intimacy. It's a reflection of a relationship that's about to begin, a covenant relationship in marriage. And God the Father and God the Son are in relationship with one another. They're in unity, intimacy with one another. In fact, this word with here, it means more than just they're nearby. It suggests oneness and intimacy, which means they're has always been a unique relationship between the father and the son. You say, what's the big deal about this, Bruce? Well, the big deal is John is showing us that the the word here is not an impersonal idea or philosophy. Because immediately when we think of word, if you're in college or high school, when I think of word as, oh gosh, a textbook... Oh, I got reading to do oh the word more words i 'm sick of more words, and so in our culture we 're growing up illiterate and, and you know it's it, don 't get me going on all that because you know but we, you know we think of word in an impersonal way, but John is trying to show us here that the word is not impersonal it 's not a philosophical idea but rather the Word is the very second person of the Trinity. Again, our minds stagger as we try to comprehend the Trinity. But the Bible is clear that God is one God who exists in three distinct persons and each person is fully God and yet He is not three gods but one God. And for those of you who are wondering what's the Trinity, maybe that's a new term for you. The Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, don't be surprised that the Trinity is such a mystery to you. But don't throw it away either. Listen to me. If Jesus Christ is not God, He could not accomplish your salvation. And if you throw away the deity of Jesus Christ, if you throw away the Trinity, you throw away your own soul with it, And all your joy in the age to come. So of all of this, it brings us to the third truth John declares about Jesus, the Logos. And that is the identity of the Logos. Jesus is God. Now, that's a powerful statement right there. John declares at the end of verse 1, And the Word was, what? God. And who's the Word? Who's the Logos? Jesus. So John is telling us that Jesus is God. This is one of the simplest and weightiest statements in all the Bible about the very identity of Jesus Christ. As one Bible scholar writes, nothing higher could be said here. All that may be said about God may fitly be said about the word. John is not merely saying that there is something divine about Jesus. He is affirming that he is God, and he's doing so emphatically. The meaning is that the Word was God in essence and character. Jesus was and is God in every way. Though as God the Son, Jesus is a separate person from God the Father. Again, wrap your mind around that. You can't. That's why you stand and behold it. Behold the glory of it. And let this be known at the same time, loud and clear, that here in our church at Glenwood, we worship Jesus Christ as God. Listen, we fall down with Thomas. You've heard of doubting Thomas, one of the disciples. We fall down with him before Jesus in John chapter 20, verse 28. And we confess with John in wonder and in joy and in amazement My Lord and my God. When we hear the Jewish leaders say to Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 33, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, speaking about Jesus, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. And when we hear those words by the Pharisees, we cry out to them, No! We cry out, no, this is not blasphemy. This is who Jesus is, our Savior, our Lord, and our God. Do you see what this means? It means if you want to know God, then get to know Jesus. Do you want to know God? Then meet God. as we meet Jesus in this series as the Logos, the light, the Lord, and the Lamb. The bottom line here is John wants us to know up front in his gospel that Jesus was and is fully God. And the fourth truth John wants us to know about is the work of the Logos. The work of the Logos is this. Jesus is the creator. He's the creator. Now, you may have never thought of Jesus as the creator of the world or the universe. That may be a new thought to you. But look what John writes in verse 3. He says, all things were made through Him. And the Him is referring to the Word. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. Yes, Genesis 1, verse 1, states that God created the universe. But you know what John is doing right here? John here is clarifying for us that it was done through the word. In other words, Jesus was God's agent in creation. But Jesus is not only the creator of all things, get this, He's the sustainer of all things. Listen to what Paul writes about Jesus in Colossians 1, verses 16 and 17. He says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. There's a creator, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Hebrews 1. We already looked at this verse. In the rest of verse 2, it says, But in these last days, God has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. Whoa! Listen, just stand and behold it. Be in awe of it. Jesus is the creator that holds the world together. As someone once said, he's the glue of the galaxies. I like that. Do you realize just how great Jesus is? There's not one thing that exists that he didn't create and he doesn't sustain. So what does all this mean for us? It means we can trust such a God with everything about us. Because Jesus is the creator, he knows just what his creation, his people like you and me, he knows what we need. It is said of Charles Steinmetz, and Charles Steinmetz was a, uh, he's the mechanical genius and friend of Henry Ford, and it's said of him that he could build a motor in his mind, and if it broke down, he could fix it in his mind. In other words, the guy's Brilliant. So when he designed it, that is the motor, and actually built it, it ran with precision. One day, the assembly line in the Ford plant broke down, and none of Mr. Ford's men, his employees, could fix it. So they called in Steinmetz, and he tinkered for a few minutes, threw the switch, and it started running again. A few days later, Henry Ford received a bill from Steinmetz for $10,000. Mr. Ford wrote back, Charlie... Man, don't you think your bill is a little high for just a little tinkering? Steinmetz sent back a revised bill. Tinkering, $10. Knowing where to tinker, (laughs) $9,990. Listen, in the same way, only Jesus knows our needs. Only Jesus knows where the tinkering should be done in our lives to keep us in perfect running order and he knows it's in our hearts. We need a new heart. We need a new creation. You think we would receive him then with open hearts, wouldn't you? But as we will see next Sunday, John tells us that Jesus was rejected by his own people when he was born. You're like, man, why would his people reject him? His own people rejecting him. Why would they do that? Folks, listen, it's the same reason we reject Him. Because our sin is so bad, it causes us to reject the very one who created us and who came to save us. This is why we need God Himself to intervene into our hearts and our lives and open up our eyes to our very need of Jesus Christ as the Logos, the Light, the Lord, and the Lamb. So let's stop and ask a question here. Before we proceed. Now the question is this. If, If you profess to be a Christ follower here this morning, is this the Jesus you believe in for your salvation? The Jesus John is describing for us. Listen, if you don't believe in the Logos the one who was in the beginning, the one who was with God, the one who was and still is God, the one who is our Creator, then you don't know Jesus as revealed in the very Word of God. The fact is, many people today who say they believe in Jesus believe in a very different Jesus than what God's Word reveals. Listen, Muslims, Jehovah Witnesses, They believe in, quote, Jesus, but not Jesus the Logos. When the Mormon tabernacle choir sings, Oh, come, let us adore Him, they're not singing about this Jesus. The only Jesus that can save us from our sins is the true Jesus. And the true Jesus, John says, is the Logos. The Word, the one who is eternal, the one who is the second person of the Trinity, the one who is God, and the one who is our Creator. And so this is the Jesus John wants us to know about. This Jesus is the Logos who is revealed to us in eternity. But then John tells us something that just is so mind-boggling. At the same time, it is so wonderful that you just stand back and you behold it. Notice point number two here. Jesus, the Logos, is not only revealed in in eternity, he is now revealed to us in history as God in human flesh. Look at verse 14. This is one of those mind-boggling verses in the Bible. And it says, "...and the Word became what? Flesh." And he didn't just become flesh, notice the next phrase, and dwelt among us. And we'll look at this verse more in detail in the weeks to come, but that little phrase has the idea of he pitched his tent with us and lived among us. And we beheld his glory, the glorious of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What's happening here in this verse? Well, what's happening is that in this verse is what Bible scholars call the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Even though John emphasizes the deity of Jesus, he makes it crystal clear that the Son of God, the Word, came in the flesh. Here's one way to think about the incarnation of the Logos. It's in your notes coming up on the screen. You can think of it this way. Deity invaded history when Jesus was born and dwelt among us. And perhaps you're wondering, how did that happen? deity invading history how in the world was the word made flesh and the answer is by the miracle of the virgin birth by the holy spirit and if you're asking this question this morning right now how is all this possible bruce how can that be listen you know what you're in great company do you realize mary herself asked this very question How is this possible? And here's how the angel explained it to Mary in Luke chapter 1, verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. The Word, listen to me, was not an abstract concept, but a real person who could be seen, he could be touched, He could be heard. In other words, you can think of it this way. Jesus was God with skin on. John makes this clear again in John chapter 1, or I should say in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, when he writes, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. A couple of months before Christmas, the wife of a mail carrier was killed in a car accident. And as you can imagine, the husband was just overcome with tremendous grief and was trying to work through his sorrow of the loss of his wife. And so one way for him to do that was to just work a lot of hours. And so he was staying late at his post office job sorting through the mountain, of mail that always comes through at Christmas time. His job that day was to go through the mail that had been lost and to find out where it should be resorted to. And so he came across a letter that was addressed to Santa Claus. And then he noticed that the return address was his, it was his own address. He's like, well, we can't have this puzzle. What, what's going on with that? And so he opened the letter. And looking down at the bottom of the page, he saw that it was his daughter's signature. And so he read what she wrote. Dear Santa. My mommy died two months ago. And since then, my daddy has been crying himself to sleep every night. He says only eternity will heal him. Would you please send a little bit of eternity to my dad this Christmas? Well, God not only sent us a little bit of eternity. Folks, what God did is he sent us the very heart of heaven when his son Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us in history. Jesus came and He identified with us. With our hurts and our pain, our sorrows, our grief, and our joy as well. But even greater than identifying with us, Jesus came and He died for us as the Lamb. As we will see later on, when John the Baptist sees Jesus for the very first time, He's he's overcome and He cries out in John chapter 1 verse 29, Behold! The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Charles Swindoll writes, John's gospel starts out in heaven with a glimpse of the creator before he became Christ the man. But it doesn't stay there. It brings heaven to earth. Because only in Christ's coming could we be forgiven for our sins and brought near to almighty God. So what do we learn now? What do we make of everything we have seen in John's gospel here about Jesus, the Logos? Well, we learn two things. Jesus is revealed in eternity as God, but he is also revealed in history as God in human flesh. Do you know what all this is meant to do in our lives? You know what John's trying to accomplish here? Listen, John's introduction about Jesus is not meant to bring comprehension and understanding, necessarily, about Jesus. For who can really wrap their minds around the greatness of God? Who can really wrap their minds around the fact that God is eternal, Jesus is eternal, and that Jesus is God, and He's the second person of the Trinity, and He's the Creator? I mean, who can really fathom all that fully? You just kind of stand in awe of it, don't you? And so John's goal here is not to bring full comprehension to your life at this moment about Jesus. Rather, it's meant to bring wonder. It's meant to bring reverence. It's meant for you to simply stand in awe and behold the glory of Jesus as the Logos. And let it penetrate your heart. Let it pull you in. Let it draw you to the heart of God so that you see Him in relation to yourself. And so you begin to see, whoa, I am in need. I am in need of a great Savior because of my great sin. So how should we respond to Jesus, the Logos? Let me offer up two suggestions here. Number one is to receive the Logos by believing. By believing on Jesus for eternal life. And so if I may, let me ask you some questions for you to ponder, for you to think hard about. Do you know this Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Have you received this Jesus by, by putting your faith and trust in Him, in Him alone? Have you received his forgiveness of your sins? Have you received the gift of His eternal life by believing on Him, by putting your faith and trust on Him and Him alone in what He did on the cross for you? John twenty thirty one says it again. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. The second way we should respond Number 2 is to proclaim the logos by sharing the good news of Christmas. Look what it says again in 1st John chapter 1. These verses are in your notes. Look what it says. It says that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we what? John is saying, listen, we proclaim Concerning the word of life. The life appeared to us. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life. Which was with the Father and has appeared to us. And then notice the third time what he says. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. Why? So that you, so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship as believers. is with who? It's with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John is telling us that he is the word. Jesus is the word. So who now can I share the word with this Christmas? That's what we need to be asking ourselves. Who can I share the word with? Who needs to hear about the good news of Jesus Christ? Well, take a look at this video. It's getting ready to be played. Well, that's certainly one way in which we can proclaim the word, the Logos, and to do it by sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And so as you saw in the video, what we want to encourage you to do and make available to you are these Christmas bags. And to take a handful of these and to distribute to your friends and your neighbors, uh even your coworkers. Uh, obviously they're showing in the video uh, to distribute them to your neighbors in your own neighborhood. And uh, what is included in this bag are, are four items, uh, and each bag is already preassembled there in the back of the auditorium. But what we have here is a—it's uh, a New Testament uh, Bible, and so it's actually the Word in which we can give to them. You also have a uh, a, a track here uh, that's about the Gospel of Jesus Christ that they can read, and then there's an invitation, uh, a church invitation, with back with information about our church on the back side of the card, uh, such as our uh, address, a map, and our, our website too. And then there's a, an optional personal invitation uh, like this that uh, you, you can utilize or you don't have to utilize. If you choose to, there's, a, there's places in the invitation which you can hand write out and fill in, and such as the event that you want to personally invite them to. And The v- event could be something like uh, maybe your, your Grow group is hosting a Christmas party. You can invite them to that. Or you can invite them to our worship service on, you know, our Christmas Sundays, December um, the 6th, 16th. Uh, we'll have our kids program that Sunday. You may invite them to, uh, to our worship service on Sunday, December 23rd as well. So there's two Christmas services kind of for our church you'd invite them for. Or even this next Sunday, December the 9th. And um, it, it's totally up to you. It's optional. But I would encourage you to at least, uh, you know, take a handful of these. And uh, whatever you take, uh, you know, utilize. Put them, you know, hand them. And uh, just don't put them on the knob or the the door of your neighbor. Go ahead and knock on their door. I know it's a little frightening, but hopefully you know your neighbors and they know you. And uh, knock on their door. You don't have to go inside. It doesn't have to be a long process. You just say, hey, I have a gift for you. I'd like for you to consider... um, you know what's inside. If you have any questions, I'm here for you. It could be as simple as that. You may extend that to whatever the situation encounters. And of course if they're not home, you can certainly just leave it on the door. That's why the, the handle is here on top of the bag. And um, But you can give them to your co-neighbors or other people you know. It doesn't have to be your, your neighbors. I would ask that you limit uh, here today uh, ten bags uh, per person or per family. That way we have opportunity to give everybody. In our goal, we have 300 of these Christmas bags. And wouldn't it be awesome to share the good news, share the word with 300 homes across the Northland here? Amen, that's right. What a cool thing that would be. And at the same time, hopefully we're praying and asking God, God, open up their heart to the word. The written word, but also the spirit, that God would work through the spirit. And they would see their need for the Logos, Jesus the Son, as well here at Christmas time. And so, this is a great way for our church to just proclaim the word by doing this. All right, let's pray. And as we come and we prepare for our response time this morning, let me encourage you to think through have you received the Logos by believing on Jesus for eternal life? And if you're already a believer here this morning, will you consider picking up a handful of these bags, five or six or ten or whatever the case may be, and, and, uh, and distributing them to your neighbors, your co-workers, friends, um, even utilizing the Advent um, devotions in your bulletin as well. Heavenly Father, Lord, we we've just scratched the surface here this morning, and we barely penetrated a hole small enough to peer through at the astonishing glory of the one who is God and who is with God and who invaded history to die for our sins and save us. And so, Lord, we ask that you would give us the faith to believe on you for our salvation. We adore you and we behold your glory. And may we not keep this good news to ourselves, but share it with those who don't know you as their Savior and their Lord. Praise team's going to sing just one chorus here, one song. And may you respond as the Lord sees fit in your life.